Hello, I'm Rachel Vaughan-Jones and this is the Building Liquid podcast, a show about startups in the drinks world, the founders that are building them and the tipples that have inspired them along the way. Today, I'm joined by the amazing Lucy Wright, who is co-founder of wine in a can brand, Nice. Lucy didn't always work in drinks, having studied fine art at uni before launching into an incredibly entrepreneurial career spanning multiple startups in the food and drink space, as well as founding a consultancy business. She's also super passionate about mentoring young businesses and entrepreneurs. Nice launched in March 2019, and in less than two years, they've landed listings in Sainsbury's, Ocado, WH Smith, to name just a few. Frankly, for me, when a brand strapline is wine for whenever, I know I'm going to love it. So thanks, Lucy, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. So as well as Lucy, we've actually got another little guest on our podcast today in the form of a really sweet little puppy. Lucy, what's your puppy called? Ludwig. <gasps> Hello, Ludwig. So if anyone hears a little cute pitter-pattering in the background, it's because Ludwig wants to get in on the action. For anyone who doesn't yet know Nice, could you give us a brief overview? So we are Nice and we sell wine in a can. So we have three different ranges. We've got a French pale rosé from the south of France, a Sauvignon Blanc also from France, and then we've got an Argentinian Malbec in a 250ml. And actually, we've also just introduced smaller cans, which are perfect for stashing in your hand, brag, drinking on the train or taking to the beach. Nice. I haven't seen those many cans, but I love anything in miniature, so I'll have to check them out. I'm interested to hear about your journey into drinks. You're the first person I've met in the industry who has a similar background to me, having done both an art foundation and then following that into a degree. So talk me through your journey from studying arts into starting your first business. So I did my art foundation in Oxford, which I loved. And then following that, I went on to Newcastle University where I studied fine art, arguably didn't do a huge amount of studying and had a lot of fun at university, (laughs) Um, got it all out of my system. And then when I left, I was going to pursue a career in interior design. So I was just finishing up an internship in interior design and I was just catching up with a friend um, after work we were having a drink and I asked her what she was doing and she explained that she was writing a business plan for an on-the-go breakfast idea that her and her mum had developed over the summer and as soon as she said it I just got that feeling inside I don't know if you've ever had that but it just really interested me and I sort of thought well screw interior design I actually think I quite want to join my friend and and do this I'm someone that makes decisions just quite quickly I I very much go by my gut so her and I the next day uh, very naively started working on this business just making up samples in our kitchen it was a Bersha muesli product so it was a combination of yogurt oats fruit and linseed for anyone that's ever been been on skiing holidays I'm sure they've had it before and we just sort of started taking week by week and before we knew it we were six months in and we were raising a bit of money we were building the brand with B&B agency we were traveling around the country trying to find a factory to make this product for us and then six months on to that we were launching the business so we launched it back in 2013 Selfridges was our first customer and then from there we followed the very traditional startup route of the uh, Whole Foods, Harvey Nichols, Harrods of the world and then later on started working with bigger customers like Tesco and Waitrose and Ocado. And what was your main role in that business? I ran the sales side of things. I've I've always loved sales. I've done it from a really young age. I think if you're a talkative person like I am then you're generally <laughs> speaking all right at sales. So I looked after the sales side of things and we ran the company for four years and we had a lot of highs. We won some amazing listings and did some brilliant things. But we also had a lot of lows and a lot of challenges, which quite often people don't 
sort of discuss people always discuss the glamorous side of being entrepreneurs but it was very challenging it was a difficult category I didn't even know what the category was when I set up the business and it was very challenging working with the chilled product and so eventually after four years of running the company we went on to sell it to a, a business called Windmill Organics and I think it sounds incredibly glamorous when you say you sold your business and probably people are imagining me on my desert island with all, with all of my money and it, and it was definitely not a glamorous exit. And what does a non-glamorous exit look like? We didn't make any money from it and so a lot of people would, would see that as a failure and without wanting to sound super cheesy and corny I, I don't see it as a failure at all because it taught me everything it was the best business school I could have ever gone to I had an amazing time doing it I completely and utterly fell in love with the food and drink industry fell in love with sales more than I even loved it before so I just look back at it with such fond memories and just nothing but a huge amount of gratitude for for all of it and then what came next following that I didn't really fancy going to work for anyone else so I decided to just do a little bit of consulting just taking all of the experiences that I'd learned at Cuckoo and helping other businesses with everything from their business plan. But really, it was the sales strategy side of things that got me going. So um, I helped businesses build their their sales strategies, you know, tra- train their sales teams, do everything around sales, look understand and look after route, routes to market, um, and then also, you know, manage the accounts. So I sort of started it thinking, gosh, I, I don't know if anyone will, will want to work with me, but I was really lucky that I got a couple of really good first clients. The guys at Doisy and Dan were pitching to Sainsbury's for the first time, so I helped them with that, having done it myself. And then there was Olivia at Olivia's Kitchen who was looking to work with the Cardo, and I helped her with that. And and then before I knew it, I was sort of six months in working with loads of different FMCG, SME businesses, mainly based around London and then also ended up doing quite a lot of work in Wales working alongside a team of consultants that advise the Welsh government on their food and drink brands because probably not many people know this but food is the main economy in Wales and so the government really heavily invests in helping their food businesses to grow because they provide a very large amount of jobs for people in Wales so I worked alongside the government and lots of civil servants which was also really interesting so I had my London business and then also my Welsh side of things and how has that changed? Did you really enjoy the consultancy side of things? So I did the consulting for two years, absolutely loved it, learned so much and worked with some really fantastic people. And it was nice because the stresses of Cuckoo, you know, you never really quite sort of put things to bed and, and, you, and you go away, you go to bed worrying. And actually the consulting was a nice break because I was I was helping businesses and I was super passionate about them. But at the end of the day, I was going home and having a little bit more of a a relaxed time than I was in the cuckoo days. But the consulting for me, I don't think it was ever a forever thing. I I didn't see myself as a career consultant. I felt that I had um, more to give. I, I felt that I did want to do my own venture. And it was about a year and a half into the consulting that I really realized I was ready and timing's such a funny thing in life because I, I met a guy, you know, along that same time called Jeremy, who was leaving Popcorn, having built the international business there. He was leaving to become a consultant and I was giving him a little bit of advice after an introduction, some advice on how to get going and how to get started. And, you know, we became friends and I told him I wanted to set up another business and he agreed that he'd love to do that as well. So, we decided to just keep talking about it. We we knew that we wanted it to be a food and drink business and we knew that we wanted it to be 
a food and drink business that was either inventing an entire new category as coconut water did and seed lip did or really disrupting a very established category so that's all we knew so we decided to maybe go to America and see what was happening over there and then again timing's a funny thing because a week later this is back in 2017 I was mindlessly scrolling through Instagram as us millennials do and I spotted a wine in a can it was a brand called The Drop and as soon as I saw it I just again got that real gut feeling inside of me and I traced that brand back to America and then I saw in America that there were about 40 different brands doing canned wine I'd never seen it before and what I loved was that I could so imagine that I would be the type of person to drink that product and all of my girlfriends and a lot of my friends I imagined that Friday night moment when you're leaving work and you're jumping on the train you go to Marks and Spencer and you buy your bottle of wine and your corkscrew and your plastic cup and I just obviously felt that the can was just so perfect for that moment and then you know festivals and the beach so then spent a couple of weeks obsessively looking into everything going on in America and and did a lot of homework and research and, and looked into the category growth over there and it was all really reassuring. So I pulled together a bit of a deck and pitched the idea to Jeremy. I, I quite nervously pitched it to him because I didn't know whether he'd love it as much as I did. And as soon as I showed it to him, he said, we're on, we're onto something. Let's, you know, let's meet up and start talking about this. I'm sure you were super relieved that he loved the idea. Um, what happened next? We just spent the first initial kind of weeks just doing a lot of homework into the UK market, really delving down into the data. We actually ended up buying some data which told us the size of the mini bottles of wine in the UK and also the size of the ready to drink cocktail cans in the UK. And it was really reassuring to see how big those categories were, but also to see how much they were growing. I remember spending a couple of days walking around shops, just independent shops and just speaking to managers about how many mini bottles of wine they sold and we you know we did really a couple of of months of of real homework because we really wanted to check the idea and validate it before we went for it and everything just kept pointing in the right direction so it was at the beginning of 2018 that we decided to really really go for it and we worked on the business for a year alongside both running our consulting businesses which was a really fortunate position to be in because that could also help fund the initial stages of the business. So we did everything in that year from building the brand to setting up the supply chain to partnering with a wine agency to, to going over to France and actually finding and trying the wine, which as you can imagine was was a great part of it, very enjoyable. And also meeting retailers and then towards the end of the year when we'd got the business in a position whereby we had great wine to go inside the can, we had the look and the feel of the brand and we had some listings lined up including a Sainsbury's listing. We were then able to raise money at the end of 2018 and at the beginning of 2019 we packed in our consulting businesses and started in the office I think it was about January the 5th and and went back into the startup world and obviously there's lots more of the story but that's the sort of initial how we got going. Now, I know you're super passionate about mentoring um, individuals and businesses, and you did a lot of it during your time as a consultant, and you've carried that through into the nice brand today. But I'd love to understand what is it that really excites you about mentoring? 
So I'm really passionate about mentoring and I uh, maybe find it a bit cringe because I mean, who isn't a mentor these days? It's probably a seriously overused word, but I, I really am so passionate about it. And I guess the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I would not have got to where I had got to today without having amazing mentors and just also amazing advice and help. I'm a really big believer in asking for help and advice just to give you an example of that, when we first had the idea for Cuckoo, the Bersham Muesli, we really didn't know where to start. And so I said to my business partner, right, we're going to go to Whole Foods and we're going to just look at all of the brands and we're just going to pick some that we we like the look of and we're going to look at the back of the packet, get the phone number and ring that person and just ask for help. And I remember the three brands we picked with Proper Corn, Jimmy's Ice Coffee and Joe and Seth's. And it was at the time where they were just brand new. No one knew probably who they were. And obviously now they're huge businesses. And I rung all three of those business leaders and they all helped me. I mean, Jimmy's Ice Coffee now is a really dear, great friend. I still go to him for advice. Cassandra from Propercorn is one of our investors. Jimmy's Ice Coffee spoke to me in the middle of Liverpool Street Station as he was launching into Whistlestop. And he said, I'm just going to step away and I'm going to speak to you. And I think I was really overwhelmed and amazed by how much they wanted to give me. I still, in my business today, I will speak to a brand four times a week. So I have my regular catch up with Dash Water. Today, I spoke to Lucky Saint a couple of days ago, and I'll just exchange notes and exchange knowledge. And it all stemmed from there. I remember my brother once saying to me, you ask for so much help. How are you not embarrassed? And I've never been embarrassed. I think it's a fantastic thing. And so I really feel now that it's my time to really give back to, to people. And so I did a good I did a good three years of really, really giving back. And it's a little bit more challenging now. You can't reply to every single person that wants for help or I wouldn't have time to run my company. So having a mentoring program in our business, which which we have, we launched about four months ago, we take on, Jeremy and I take on a mentee for a three-month period. We have a an hourly session every Thursday. I've actually just had my last session with my lovely mentee and uh, having that you know set time in the diary allows us to to give that and we'll have the next cohort coming on in January and eventually we want to be a business whereby every single person in our team has a mentee so I think a very long-winded way of answering why I'm so passionate about it is because it, it just gave me so much and so I really feel it's important to give back now. I think that's what's great about the world of startups as well is that I worked in big kind of corporate companies before ending up in in startups and everyone was so secretive even within the same business brand mm. to brand there was not a lot of sharing of information people were quite protective of what they were working on um, and you move over to the world of startups and literally as you say you can pick up the phone and, and generally um, more often than not people will be more than happy to mm. share what they've been doing their advice and kind of trade war stories um, and ideas, which I think is is amazing and is is reason enough to feel confident in maybe taking the plunge into giving something a try if, if you've been thinking about it. Yeah, definitely. And it's really the only industry, well, maybe it's not the only industry, but it's totally acceptable to just email someone out of the blue or, you know, Instagram or LinkedIn. There are so many forms of communication and just say, would you like to chat? And I do that 
all of the time and it, I just think it's so fantastic and and open and if I ever need to say we launch with a new customer that I didn't know too much about them first thing I do you know I, I've just launched with a new wholesaler and Lucky Saint work with them first thing I do get on the phone to Lucky Saint you know tell me more tell me about them and then they can do the same back to me and this sharing knowledge you know we're all ultimately trying to do the same thing we're all ultimately trying to take on the big guys and so all of us small guys sharing this knowledge it's so powerful so you founded nice with jeremy may where did you guys meet so we met it was a guy called joe ben who's the founder of co-founder of ugly drinks obviously the industry is quite small and everyone knows everyone and Jeremy and Joe were friends and Joe and I were great friends and Jeremy and Joe were obviously chatting and Jeremy Jeremy was explaining he was leaving Popcorn to become a consultant and I wasn't there but I'm guessing Joe said oh well you need to meet my mate Lucy she's doing that in the UK and you're obviously going to be doing it for brands export so we met in a coffee shop in Borough Market I'm always early to everything and Jeremy was early as well so it was probably perfect from day one and and that meeting was just for me to help him get going and then we had another dinner with another friend and then we met for the third time at a trade show lunch trade show and I said I want to set up a business and then it was the week later that I was mindlessly scrolling through Instagram and, and spotted the can of wine. Right, I'm going to try your red wine and I'm going to decant mine into a wine glass. Although, of course, the beauty of Nice is that you can drink it super conveniently straight out of the can, wherever. Talk me through it. So the red wine is a Malbec. Yes, so our red wine is a Malbec and it's an 100% Malbec blend. So it's only got Malbec grapes in there and it's from Mendoza in Argentina. And then our pale rosé is from Languedoc in the south of France, and it's an 100% Grenache blend. It's dry, it's got hints of dried strawberries without wanting to get too kind of wine geeky. We, we try and just make wine simple and really approachable and really inclusive because I think too many of us have been made to feel silly by a wine menu or a wine waiter, and, and we're just trying to make it far more approachable for everyone. Our Sauvignon Blanc is from Cote de Gascoigne, a really lovely small family-run vineyard and it's an 100% Sauvignon Blanc blend and it's dry and a little bit peachy, quite a classic French Sauvignon Blanc style. That's one of the things that I actually really love about Nice, that it challenges the conventions of what is typically quite a traditional category Um, and I'm sure there are some grey-haired men in the Loire Valley spitting out their Chenin Blanc at the thought of people putting wine in a can but you know we're a species now being driven by convenience and why shouldn't everybody be able to enjoy it as as they want. Did you always want to challenge conventions or was that just a byproduct of of what you created? I think probably deep down I I did. I get I get very excited by disruption and and doing things differently. I think I was and that was one of the things that really most excited me about this. The fact that I I would drink and buy this type of product obviously really excited me, but when you look at the category, my my father was in the wine industry, so I grew up in wine, and I remember going to to tastings with you know all grey haired men in shiny suits and maybe one woman in the room who was a secretary, and it was all just very dated and old school. And then I've been to wine tasting since then, and it's as if I'm back twenty years ago. It hasn't hugely developed and changed. 
the category, I mean, it's steeped in so much history and it's amazing. And I, I don't want to diss it because there's, there's so much richness and wonderfulness about it. But it is quite dated and it is quite old school and it's in a heavily male dominated category. And I think all categories need lots of different people in order to bring so many different ways of thinking. I mean, the great example is the baby food story. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but pre-women entering baby food, baby food was always just served in a jar. And actually, if you're a mum feeding your baby, it, it gets very messy because you've got the spoon in it. It was only when women entered the industry that they said, look, this doesn't work. Let's do the pouches. You know, it's it's far more functional. So I think all industries need a real mix of people in order to bring different ways of, of thinking. So I did want to shake it up and I did want to change things. And I think that that type of thing, yeah, really does excite me. But also this, just making it more, more approachable and just, you know, people almost don't want to learn about wine because they don't know where to start. And it's scary and it's intimidating and all these, you know, words that people don't understand. So just making it a bit more approachable is also something that's really important to us. I definitely think you've done that. And I guess the wines that you chose was part of the decision making process, choosing wines that I'm sure flavour played a big part, but wines that had potentially more common, more recognisable names. So most people have heard of a Malbec, it's not kind of Cote de Rhone or something that potentially your average person might not have heard yes definitely so in terms of choosing the wine we we did a number of different things we we definitely drilled down into the data and, and looked at which grape varieties were the most popular and which were in the strongest growth and Sauvignon Blanc is one of the most popular grape varieties and I think most people in the world would know what Sauvignon Blanc is and then also we did run a number of consumer tastings and, and panels and that's ultimately how we came to our decision so I imagine there are some technical challenges associated with putting wine in a can. How did you go about figuring out how to do it? So something that I haven't mentioned is our wine agency. We partner with one of the UK's leading wine agencies, an amazing business called ABS. Jeremy and I, we're, we're very knowledgeable on, on launching brands and, and general FMCG, but actually wine is is a whole nother area and it, it's incredibly complex and there's a lot to understand and to know. And we, we were struggling to, to get there. We were struggling to connect with vineyards. We were struggling as to how do we go about finding the right wine to put in the can. And so we got introduced to ABS. And from day one, it just felt like a real natural fit. They had the wine knowledge. They had a fantastic team. And then we had the skills in building a brand. So they are equity partners in our business. They have got a fantastic reputation in the industry. And so they have helped us with all elements of picking the wine, picking the right vineyards, and then all of the technicalities around canning it. But also our canners are incredibly knowledgeable on canning wine, because as you say, it is a complex thing. So Jeremy and I are learning and we love learning, but we're not the professionals on it. But we have those professionals in our business who help us with that side of things, which is also really reassuring when you're talking to buyers. I can imagine that really helps just to be able to show that you've got the real, the big guns, the experts behind you. Um, and again, another good example of if I don't know that particular thing, uh, ask for help. Exactly. Exactly. 
So cans are obviously a super sustainable option, being infinitely recyclable. Is this something that was always going to be at the heart of the brand? Yes. So sustainability is at the heart of our brand, but it isn't something that we talk about very much because our belief is that all businesses in this day and age should be as sustainable as they possibly can. And it's just a given and it's not something we shout about for that reason. We we always try to be as sustainable as possible. We're working towards becoming more sustainable. We're working towards becoming a B Corp business, but we're not going to bang on about it because we think that there are more interesting things to talk about. And it, it's just something that we feel everyone should be doing anyway. I completely agree. And a lot of the brands that I talk to often ask, you know, should we be talking a lot more about sustainability? Should we be putting it as part of our key comms, our lead messages? And, and I say exactly that, you know, I think we should just be doing it anyway. And I think consumers hopefully will just expect and demand that behind the scenes, the brands that they are buying are sustainable and are behaving as they, as they should be. Exactly. So you've launched a mentoring program as part of the NICE brand. Tell me how that works. So we have launched it. We launched it over the summer and we, Jeremy and I, each mentored one business. So I've been mentoring this amazing woman called Dominique who owns a company called Wolf's Kitchen and they make a fantastic selection of Thai sauces and she's got some new products coming out as well. So I picked her and then Jeremy picked another business and for a three-month period, we gave our mentee one hour on a Thursday afternoon, always the same time, at two o'clock to just discuss any anything they wanted. So we've had three months. I had my last session with her today, which is really sad, but I really feel like I've I've really helped her with her plan going forward and she can now really go and attack 2021. And then we're going to be taking on the next cohort in January, which will again be for a three-month period. And this is really just the beginning of our of our mentoring program. It's definitely a program that we really want to build out in a really robust way. And we'd like it to become a really core part of our business. And that's something that we're working on in the background. But eventually, we'd like to be a business that every employee we have mentors someone. Sounds like an amazing initiative. Um, and obviously, it's taking something that you're super passionate about and baking it into to the brand DNA. So you guys launched in early 2019, and since then you've won some amazing listings. How did you go about that, and what have been the main challenges in really getting your product out there? In terms of how we got there, I think it's a it's a combination of of different things. It's it's having the right product, and I know that sounds really obvious, but you know the right product from the liquid in it to to how it looks and. For us, there was a real opportunity to disrupt a category, and I think that was really exciting for buyers. Wine wine sales as a whole are flat, and so buyers are, are looking to bring new consumers into the category. And so having a disruptive brand that's a different format that's far more functional is going to do that, and we are doing that. So it's that, and then it's also having the right sales pipeline and, and hit list. And I'm a huge believer in having a ginormous sales pipeline and, and hit list and really throwing a lot at it and kind of seeing where it sticks but also being strategic at the same time it's not all about the spray and pray approach you know it is about being strategic with who you go to at certain stages and then you know thirdly and, and finally it's obviously about having you know the right pitch and the right deck and all of that stuff but gosh it's about a lot of persistence you know there are so many businesses that are trying to get their products into these buyers they have maybe 400 new emails a week on new products and so it's really about being persistent and and thinking outside the box and 
sort of not taking no for an answer, but obviously not being super pushy and getting that balance right. And I'm I'm a really persistent person and I'm I'm quite competitive, which I think helps. And I, I just I just really go for it and really throw myself into it. How focused are you guys on getting listings versus driving your direct-to-consumer business, for example? I imagine over the past nine months, it's been shifted, obviously, towards direct-to-consumer. But if we if we step away from 2020, how do you see the brand growing through which channels? So direct-to-consumer has, has become really, really big for us this year. It's 40% of our business based on, versus last year, where it was five percent of our business so it's it's a real focus for us it's we've learned so much and it's been so interesting to see and it's really it's been really exciting to see that channel grow especially because we've we've really lost a few quite a fair few channels in covid so the strategy going forward is that it's very important for us to continue to grow our d2c model and that's where we're putting a lot of our focus and energy and attention and resources but it's equally as important to continue to grow listings and I think brands that build in in both of those kind of playgrounds will be in a stronger position overall because helping you know helping your grow your d2c also helps drive your retail sales so I think in combination with each other it's a strong approach. And what's next for NICE? Do you imagine you might extend the range, for example? So we are looking at that at the moment, and I believe that that will come at some point. I won't say any more on that now. Top secret. Looking to extend the range, looking to build out our team, grow distribution next year. But also, we've done a big piece of work in lockdown on our on our brand purpose and our brand mission and people are going to start seeing a lot more of that from us. Our purpose is to become the nicest wine company in the world. And what that means is being nice to everyone from the planet to our consumers, to our customers, to launching initiatives like our mentoring program. And I think next year people will be seeing a lot more of that from our brand, which we're really excited to share. And things like working towards becoming B Corp for next year as well is is a big thing for us. You've mentioned quite a lot of times uh, this concept of perfect timing. So from having a drink with your friend straight after uni when you're actually thinking about a career in interior design uh, to meeting Jeremy, it feels like a lot of your success has been down to timing. Do you think that that's a fair a fair assessment? Definitely. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm quite a superstitious energy sort of touch my gemstones kind of person, which definitely Jeremy is different from me in that sense. <laughs> I'm a big believer in timing and it sounds a bit cheesy, but I'm also a really big believer in um, making your own luck. You know, you've got to be a bit lucky, but sometimes you've got to make your own luck. You've got to hustle and work hard. And I think it's that combination of things. But I have I'm, I feel really grateful for some of the timings of when things have happened for me. I, I very often think back to that drink with that friend and also sitting on the sofa and finding that canned wine when I was looking for my next business it sometimes makes me a bit emotional to think wow I feel so lucky that that happened to me so yes I'm a big believer in in timings so the final question that I ask people 
um, is around desert island drinks. So if you were stranded on a desert island, and if you've chosen to be stranded somewhere warm, then you have an unlimited supply of ice. I don't know, frankly, why anyone would want to be stranded on a cold island. So I'll assume everyone chooses warm. Um, what would be in your desert island liquor cabinet? What would be the few things that you couldn't live without? Obviously, I've got to plug my own brand and our wine is amazing and fantastic. So obviously, I'd have the nice canned wine range which would be great and then my second product would be a manzanilla sherry which is a drink I'm super passionate about which is the most underrated drink and also the most reasonably priced drink and my family and I are just obsessed with it so it would be any manzanilla but I particularly love Lagita or Gatana so it would be that obviously chilled down with a plate of palm ham but that can't come on the desert island but that's just how I enjoy it and then um I'm gonna go for four my third and I know it's a bit wanky to say you like champagne and I'm sorry because this is probably going to come across in that way but I just love champagne I, I I just love the yeastiness and biscuitiness of it and so I particularly love Paul Roger champagne so it would be probably the Winston Churchill edition of the Paul Roger champagne and I'm so sorry if that makes me sound so I mean if we're stranded on a desert island <laughs> and we're allowed an unlimited supply of something yeah as we go all in and then probably the fourth just for when I fancy something a bit refreshing I mean it would be difficult it would be between a gin and tonic or maybe a sour beer which I've got really into but I'd probably go with the gin and tonic just because it's classic and it would remind me of home that sounds like an amazing collection of drinks Lucy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and uh, there's something really exciting about what you're doing uh, in the wine space and I can't wait to see not only what happens with NICE in the future but also watching your journey personally. I think seeing what other perfect timing moments happen in the future will be will be something to see. So thank you and I hope to keep in touch. Thank you so much. Please let your drinks curious friends know about the podcast. At the end of season one, we'll be selecting one of our Instagram followers to win a hamper, including every single drink featured on the podcast. So make sure you're following us at Building Liquid Podcast. I will catch you soon. Bye.